weird design boy solves unsolvable math problem. Hello, and welcome to Good Bad Show. I'm Andy. And I'm Matt. And this is a show where we discuss good things and bad things. And House Hunter things. Oh, no way. That was the last episode. This is our House Hunter cast. Yes, we've, we've uh, we shifted gears. And from now on, we're just going to cover every episode will be on the topic of a House Hunter spinoff. So we did renovations. Mm-hmm. We'll do international. Then yep. we'll do houseboat hunters and then tiny house hunters and then tiny house builders. I actually don't think that's a spinoff. I think it's a different show, which is confusing. Is tiny house hunters actually a thing? Is this a joke I was going to make before you said it? No, tiny house hunters is a real thing. And tiny house builders wow. is also a thing. Here's all you need to know. Since, since that weekend, Andy, my Netflix queue thinks I only want to watch house-related shows, so mm-hmm. I know all about this. Sure. Yep. Top picks for Matthew. All House Hunters related. House Hunters. Shipping containers. Yes. Different ways well, to live in them. Look, that could happen. House Boat Hunters is a real thing, for example. House Boat That's Hunters. That's what I learned. Isn't there a House Hunters, like, Island Hunters, where people are just buying islands? Isn't that a thing? That's a thing. I've yet to see Tiny Island Hunters. This is a deep vein. Tiny Island Hunters could be a thing. This, this is our new... That's the problem with us, Matt. We never choose a topic for our podcast that is approachable by people. You know, people, they, they watch the way it is House Hunters. They want to hear some, some discourse about it. And that's what I think we can provide to people. You're saying Island Hunters would be the most approachable? I'm just saying any of the House Hunters franchise, anything in the House Hunters family yeah. is going to be something that, you know, uh, I think our commentary will be welcome. I think so. We are fun to watch House Hunters I relate with. to people who have so much money they need to buy, buy islands. I think we should be talking about that. There is nothing like uh, seeing two <laughs> middling young men to take down all the rich people uh, that can afford fancy things on uh, House Hunters. That's what people tune in for. Feels good to have us take them down a peg or six. That's right. Punching up. We'll do an episode on comedy sometime. You've got a bunch of money, but you still don't know how to pick out an appropriate chandelier. And we're going to tell you all about it. You don't know what a floor plan should be, even though you make a bunch of money running children's books. Here on House Hunt Show. All right. On this episode of House Hunt Show, we're going to talk about mathematics. Wait a minute. That has nothing to do with house hunters. What's going on? Yeah, it does. They don't do the math, and then they go over budget every single time. That has everything to do with house hunters. It does have something to do with mathematics. If they're just good at mathematics then maybe they would solve all their problems. And here's the thing, Matt. Yeah. Math is so good. I, this is going to be one where you're going to have to tell me what's bad about math because math to me seems like as close to an objective anything as we can get. Like it, as long as we're admitting that math is a construction of humans, beyond that point, it's about as close to objective as I can imagine. Uh, I would agree. Uh, and the reason that it's as close to that as we can really get is because it is like the most abstract thing that we have invented really that I'm aware of. Like the most wide scale systematic abstraction that, uh, we've come up with. And I do think it's important. What made me love math more was understanding that math is not something we found. It's not an actual objective truth in the sense that it's like completely infallible it is it is still a creation of humans and that's what makes it so exciting math is just this thing we invented to better understand the world around us and we invented it on such an abstract level that it applies to almost everything like basically everything Mm -hmm. that's such a beautiful beautiful idea Uh, the, the way the way i like to think about it is if i say like oh this is a circle like you know what a circle is right like a circle is a very common idea or like uh, you know, a, a right triangle is something that we understand uh, in the world. But those things don't actually exist. Nothing is a perfect circle. Like, we didn't find a circle in nature. There's no circle. Like, a circle is this theoretical 
thing that we've described the rules for, and understanding this theoretical thing allows us to understand the world in a myriad of more interesting and complete and complex ways. Uh, same goes for a triangle, right? Like all of trigonometry is based on just this shape, which again doesn't actually exist. There are no real triangles. If you get down to like actually measuring very, very carefully, nothing's really a triangle. Well, first of all, nothing's actually two dimensional, so that's a good way to start. <laughs> so <laughs> everything would be a triangular prism. But uh, a triangle is a theoretical. It's an idea. A triangle is not a thing. It's this idea we invented. Hey, what if we just imagine? these lines intersecting in a plane in these particular ways, what can we learn from this theoretical idea? And that's what's really so beautiful about it to me is that it's completely imaginary. It's not real at all. Uh, like, yeah. like in, in the way that you're describing it as being like objective, I think some people think, oh, math is like the most real thing because it's always right and you can't, can't argue against it. But math is completely unreal. Like it's just, it's just a, a series of like, weird squiggles and symbols and shapes we made up to understand why things happen in the world it's like right. where where language failed us where uh our actual understanding of observing nature and the observable universe failed us we invented all these other things to better understand what's happening around us yeah well i think of i mean i, I still think of it as kind of a language like i don't think it has hugely different traits than that uh it's just designed to be I don't know, can you, would you say more precise? Like, it's abstract in, in its description of things, but uh, it attempts precision as much as possible, which is kind of why it works so well to communicate things, right? Uh, whereas, you know, the idea, when we're talking about language like the English language, I think we fail a lot because there are things that are so vague, math would be like the opposite of that. Yeah, it's definitely a language in that sense. Um, it does communicate in a different way, which is a valuable way. It communicates in a way that is more universal more like there's so much room for interpretation in spoken languages yeah uh that there is that we've intentionally kind of left out of math uh which is not not completely it's not that math has no room for interpretation but it's much more precise and specific about things uh in a way that keeps those miscommunications from happening meaningfully and usefully uh and i think math gets a bad rap like I, I think math is not just good for the world and good for humanity and good for understanding things i think math is just a thing that people should like more <laughs> like <laughs> when it comes down to taste i think most people don't have a taste for math and i really think they should because most people myself included uh in this country at least what we're taught growing up is barely math it's more like you're taught arithmetic yeah uh, like we spent a lot of time like learning your multiplication tables learning how to do long division learning, uh, you know, how to use the quadratic equation to do something, uh, which, are, which is basically like a rote memorization of the most foreign things. Uh, like, like we just said, math and numbers are, is inherently as abstract as we can get. Um, one of the XKCD comics that stuck with me the most my entire life is the one titled Purity, it's XKCD 435, and it just has this scale from sociologists to psychologists, biologists, chemists, physicists, and they're all arguing about uh, which field is more pure in that order. And then all the way on the other side of the scale, there's math, who's just <laughs> <laughs> laughing at all of them because of how impure and applied all of their studies are. Um, and, and math is, is our attempt to be that pure and objective with what we're talking about. And that's why if people... I, I, I'm a fan of math. I, I, I'm not good at it. I, I can't sit down and do good math. I, I don't know that much about it. But I really enjoy reading about it, and I really enjoy thinking about it, because it is this purest system abstraction of the world around us. And I feel like if people were taught 
math in that context, not everybody, but certainly more people, I think, would be attracted to what it's actually doing in the world. Instead well, of, I would say, I would, I would describe the process of growing up as finding out that the things that someone was trying to teach you when you were younger and in school, that they're actually far more interesting than the boring frame you had it in your head. I don't know how much I should blame the educational system for my total lack of interest in any kind of learning until I was too old to be able to learn <laughs> professionally anymore, uh, or if I just blame myself for being an idiot. Yeah. But I had that exact experience, which is growing up, I was like, ugh, math, ugh, history, ugh, literature. And now I'm like, those things are the best things. Why won't somebody just let me do that all day and have that be my living? It's very, it's very upsetting. Hmm. The world's a torturous place. As soon as you're ready for it, you can't do it anymore, Andy. Yeah. So I don't know how much more we have to actually just argue about how good or bad math is. I want to touch on a few more points. I don't think we have any arguments, but I do think we have some points. Maybe there's some more points to be made. And at some point, I wouldn't mind touching on how we'll use math. Basically, how I would love to use math to handle the art problem. And then we've solved all the problems. But I don't know how to do that. There's a few principles I want to try and abstract out from our mutual agreement that math is great. and Math is good. Math is good. Math is great. Let us thank math for these numbers. One of the things I want to abstract out of it is that the reason I think math is good is because I think understanding is good. I think we as humanity should strive to understand more about the world around us. And I think that is a undeniably and objectively good pursuit to learn more of those things. And if you follow that line of thinking, that understanding things is good, uh, you kind of arrive at the idea that uh, humans continuing to exist, first of all, and also doing things in the world is good. Like I, I'm ultimately arguing that we should have more effect, more control on our environment, on the world around us, more understanding of how our impact uh, changes things, and just more, more humanity, right? To understand more is to do more and, and be more. Uh, and, and that's another point I want to abstract out of this, which I think is a point we'll have to pull out of a lot of different episodes as we're going along. But uh, one of the core things I believe about goodness is that, like we said in the Humanity Show, we have to accept that humans are good. And part of that is wanting to better understand the world around us so that we can be better. Uh, like, I think understanding is good. Math gives us understanding. And we use our understanding to further humanity. And we have no choice but to accept that more of the human experiment uh, is, is better than less of the human experiment. Um, so that I think is important. Uh, I also think we can deduce from this that abstraction is not always good. It, it depends on the context, but abstraction can very often be an extremely useful tool to better understand things. Um, this is something I'm always trying to do in my life is, okay, learn a lesson, a small little lesson about something. Oh, in this scenario, if I say this to this person, something happens. And if I take this action, this other thing happens. Taking that and trying to understand how on a higher level, that thing can possibly turn into not a rule or a principle, but like turn into a piece of information that has life outside of the specific context, which I'm looking at it. Um, right. And then that's why I get so excited about math, right? Like I think about somebody back in like ancient Greece trying to figure out how to like support a column for like a you know big building or whatever and you know drawing in the sand and imagining like okay what if I did lines like this and like basically looking at solving one specific practical problem right like math all started solving practical problems we didn't start with theoretical mathematics uh 
taking that practical problem and saying, hey, wait a minute, this thing I did here, I wonder if this can be pulled out and taken out of this context and put somewhere else, um, which is actually a big, a big, one of my big definitions for creativity is just the ability to take one solution and easily see how that solution can fit in other problems than the one in which you discovered it in. Um, so anyway, math to me is the prime example of why abstraction is also a good thing to do in most situations. Uh, and, and most good things, I think, can be abstracted, uh, especially when it comes to like explanations of the world. Uh, if it's a good explanation, I think it works outside of just the little context in which it was observed. Uh, and I think that actually is true of art and culture in a way that I want to eventually explore. Uh, it's, it's a deep topic for the math show, but uh, I think the best things touch on ideas and concepts and feelings that are more abstract than the specific context in which the art is made. So tell, give me an example of a bad version of abstraction, an event that you can pull an idea out of that you just shouldn't have done that. Uh, I think all of them just come from not thinking hard enough and just accept the, the, the important thing about, cause there's like, are we just talking about the bad, there's a bad version of abstraction that's stereotyping or. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a bad version of abstraction. Stereotyping is there, uh, you know, to be extremely extreme about it, right? Like you could say like, uh, maybe there's a situation where, you know, my dog is sick and it's really not well and it's probably not going to get better and it's best for the dog if I just, you know, put it down. Uh, you shouldn't abstract that out to be like, anytime something's wrong with the dog, let's kill it. Like, it, so this is right. So this is, I want to go there because. Where where do we where are we drawing our line in the idea that abstraction is generally a good thing? Well, thoughtful abstraction is always a good thing. <laughs> Blind abstraction is never a good thing. And ultimately, I think it's what a lot of these kind of rules and principles come down to because you can't put it in ink. Like here is exactly the line where you should stop abstracting things. Mm -hmm. But if you approach the world with the same logic that made you understand why abstraction was good in the first place, you will yeah. also inherently understand that. Not everything that works in one context is going to work in literally every other context it can fit into. There are no hard and fast rules. It's just, this is a thing you should look to do because it will increase your understanding of the world when you figure out which things can and cannot be abstracted. This, this could lead to the scientific method episode at some point where you, you have to try it, test it, see if it works, and uh, maybe don't put down another dog. <laughs> That's a good argument against the scientific method. Hmm, should we kill dogs? Let's kill one. See what happens. Uh-oh. I guess we should not science anymore. Yep. No more science. We killed a dog. Dogs are great. Um, I feel like I went on a little tear there about abstraction and humanity and goodness and No, badness. I think that's an important point. And I do, I mean, that's ultimately the, where I want to get to with art as well, is the idea, like, that's, that's what I push for. And every, every time you bring up a topic, I'm like, well, what, what can we pull out of this and learn from it to apply to other stuff? How can this be a repeatable pattern? Isn't that the question I ask you every episode? Yeah, I mean, this show is largely about abstraction in, in a big yeah. way. And so math is kind of my paradigm for that. That's how we can do it in a good, meaningful way. And I, I do think it's important, like, I don't want to take for granted that there's probably a lot of people that don't believe fundamentally that understanding is a good thing. You I, think so? I really think so. I think that's a thing that would be easy for you and I, from where we sit with our perspective, to say, oh, this is a given. Of course, understanding things is good. I think a big chunk of the population, whether they consciously realize it and would say it or not, don't have that fundamental belief that understanding is good. Well, I think we, in order to do the show, we both have to agree. We have to agree, and I think our listeners just have to roll with us, that that's going to be the basis for everything moving forward. 
It does. So. It does get hard to explain it, though, right? So if I say to you, "Understanding is good," or rather, you yeah. say it to me, and I say, "Why is understanding good?" Then we just know more about the things that are going to kill us, and know more about all of the horrible stuff that's going on in the world, and know more of all the pain and the suffering. Like, understand why? Like, why is that good? Uh, you are kind of hard pressed. Like, the only place you can logically go with that is. Well, if we understand more, hopefully we can do better, right? I think, yeah. Like, I that's think, all you arrive at. I think we have to deal with it in exactly the same way that we deal with humanity, and that you can argue that humanity is bad because look at all the horrible things that they have done, or we have done, or whatever. Um, and, and I can always default back to my general thinking, which is that we're just floating uh, through space on a rock and nothing really matters. But if we're going to do something, if we're going to do something useful with our time, or not, not even useful, something enjoyable with our time and just we're just going to take for granted that humans are good and we're going to go for it well then we might as well understand our environment and try to do better by it do better for humans much like you know we can we can blow up the earth as much as we want earth is still actually going to be there we'll just be dead so understanding is good for humanity and the more we understand the better we can do for humanity that's kind of my take on it yeah and i'm with you on that I think that not everyone probably is. And that's the thing that I want to make clear about the position of the show and you and I is that if, if we're not trying to do better, then what are we doing? <laughs> you know, like we just got to try and do better. So this is the part of the show where I just share some fun math things that I get excited about with people uh, and maybe make them excited about math as well. I have an extensive uh, list of Wikipedia pages that are bookmarked related to math things. And again, oh, I like this. And again, I am not good at math. I want to make that clear. I think a lot of people, I, I tweet these links out sometimes, and people will go, whoa, you, you must be so smart. You can't, I can't even think about this. And it's like, no, I'm not that smart. I swear. <laughs> I really am not that smart. I just try super hard. And you could also appreciate and get something out of this if you just read it, because it's really fun. Uh, so uh, the first page I'll point people to is there is a Wikipedia page that is a list of unsolved problems in mathematics. Uh, this is a great page for a lot of reasons. One, it sheds some light onto like what theoretical and applied mathematicians do, because if someone is getting like a degree in math, you're like, well, what are you doing? You're just going to, we have computers now. You don't need to do math anymore. And yet you do. And all of the lists of things that are unsolved, some of them, I have absolutely no idea what they're talking about, right? Like they talk about, uh, you know, finding a formula for the probability that two elements chosen at random generate the symmetric group S to the N. It's like, okay, I don't know what that is. That's not going to ever resonate with me. But then you find one called the moving sofa problem. <laughs> and the moving sofa problem uh, states that given a, a right angle hallway, imagine like a corner in a hallway. Sure. Uh, try to imagine the, and it's a two-dimensional corner. There's no third dimension like height in this particular okay. problem. You have to try and imagine a two-dimensional shape that is the greatest possible volume, but can still fit around that corner. Uh, and basically, we, my understanding of this is that we have an equation that tells us that the volume of the shape is a certain thing, but we can't figure out the actual shape of the thing uh, to understand exactly the biggest shape you can get around the corner in a hallway. Uh, the closest we have right now is this like kind of telephone shape. You can watch a great GIF on the Moving Sofa Problem uh, Wikipedia page that shows this giant telephone thing going around the corner. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, it's fun to think about, right? Like, it seems like such a simple thing, but all of the technology and math we have in the world <clears throat> cannot describe the biggest shape you can get around the corner <laughs> in a hallway. Wait, so it, there, is, there is on paper a biggest shape, but we just can't visualize it, or we can't even understand it? We don't 
we haven't proven that the shape we have that we think is the biggest shape is actually the biggest shape you can fit around that corner. Like I see. it's conceivable. There is a different shape that would also fit around that corner that we have not conceived of yet or invented. And I see. we haven't been able to prove with math that this is in fact the biggest shape. Oh man. So this is, this is more a situation of like there are infinite possibilities. We just don't have the power to run through every single possibility. I mean, could a computer even do that? You'd have to write a very complicated program to even get the computer to do that thing oh this is very complicated it is you ever just think about the idea of infinity and you just you can't decide if you're fascinated or you just want to kill yourself um so matt you're so you're describing something which is uh just which is known as an np complete problem um, i've sometimes heard it referred to as an np hard problem before my understanding of this particular thing you're describing matt is a problem that there is no amount of computation that would just solve it. It's not like we're just waiting on inventing a computer. It's going to figure it out. It's that right. there is no logic we've written that will ever possibly come to a solution. Um, the, my favorite example that I have read about is just imagine you have a big pile of rocks and they're all different sizes and you have to write a computer program that will put them into piles uh, that are of as close to equal weight as possible. Um, the only way you could do that computationally would be just to say well try every single possible combination because there is no actual logic that will guarantee that you're going to go through those and put them in piles of equal sizes uh and you at home and you matt think about how you would write the computer program to describe how to put those things in those piles and then imagine doing it with crazy different variations of weights and patterns and rocks and see mm -hmm. how wrong your your pattern is <laughs> uh and it's really interesting to think about like oh this seems like such a basic problem and yet we haven't been able to describe mathematically or programmatically the logic for how to complete this problem such that our only solution is just to like try all the options and do our best, but it's just not a thing that we've actually figured out totally. Yeah. Um, so that to me, I, I love those kind of problems. I love thinking about them because I also, I'm like, you know, arrogant and I think I can maybe solve one. So I, I sit down and try and figure out an MP hard problem. And of course you can't, <laughs> but it's fun. But it's fun to like learn exactly why it's so hard. Uh, and I think a lot of the list of unsolved math problems fits with the set of NP hard problems. Uh, but it's really fun. So another thing I want to uh, <laughs> talk about re-unsolved math problems is pentagonal tiling. Have you ever uh, seen the Wikipedia page for pentagonal tiling, Matt? No, I haven't. But it's, it sounds like a thing I can picture. So uh, one unsolved problem in mathematics is we don't know how many different pentagons tile infinitely in all directions ah so you can picture you know a tiling pattern squares is the easiest one to picture where you've got just a bunch of squares and they go on to infinity sure uh, there are a number of pentagons uh there are 15 i believe uh different pentagons that will tile infinitely in all directions making different shapes and patterns uh which are pretty crazy uh and we don't we haven't proven with math that we found all of them and actually as of just, I think, what, two years ago? When was it they discovered new pentagons? Uh, let's see right here. 2015. Yeah, so in 2015, uh, using a computer algorithm, uh, we discovered a new pentagon, a new tiling pentagon, which was very exciting. Uh, and this is the thing that we're still working on mathematically, is coming up with new different kinds of tiling pentagons. Uh, another fun problem for you to try and just like solve for yourself. Sit down, try and draw some pentagons. You can tile infinitely. And it's fun to think about. And then go look at the page and look at how many mathematicians have figured out. This is what I mean by being a fan of math. I think it's really fun if you don't think about it as like boring arithmetic. It's just like systems and problems. I hear you. I'm with you. I think it's great.
I have not ever tried to solve any of these unsolvable problems. It's uh, fun. You maybe should try. I'm not, I'm not arrogant enough. No one's ever told well, me. Well, I know before, I'm not actually but... going to do it. I don't have like pipe dreams of you know headlines. Weird design boy solves unsolvable math problem <laughs> declared prodigy. Uh, but it's fun to me, fun for me to think about because a lot of them it, you immediately like, intuitively go, wait a minute, I feel like I can solve for that, and then you know you can't because mathematicians have been able to do it, and you start yeah. exploring it, and then you realize why it's so hard, uh, and you start to get a little taste of the sort of depth of the complexity. Anyways, math solved. We agree math is good. What makes math bad? It's bad at sorting rocks. So math's bad. Is that what you're getting at? Here's what makes math bad. When math is used wantonly, without context, that's when math is bad. All things are bad out of context. Sure, I agree with that. I think. Do I agree with that? I'm going to need some context for this to understand it. (laughs) There's also a page called Names of Large Numbers, which is fun. Oh, like Googleplex and so on and so forth? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Silly names? Bunch of silly names? There's not as many as you think. Oh, really? Well, I mean, there's a lot. There's, let's see, this table has uh, million, non-gentillion, tresentillion. It seems like that list could be infinite, but you would have to assign a name to everything, so it would just be beyond human power. Here, here's an embarrassing thing I'll end the show on, because people will enjoy it. When I was a kid, here is a thought I used to have pretty regularly. I was like, people tell me numbers go on to infinity. And I was like, okay, sure, I'll accept that. Numbers go on to infinity. And then I was like, if numbers go on to infinity, and I can count from like, you know, zero to 100, then certainly at some point in infinity, every single sound I could make with my mouth of any length is a number, right? Mm-hmm. Like, bleh, is a number. <laughs> so it's beep, bloop, that's a number, right? Yeah. Uh, this is a stupid thing I used to think. How I mean, you're not that? wrong. Like, I am wrong. Point... That's not how numbers work. They don't... <laughs> no, no, but I mean, at some point, like, you will get to a number that no human has gotten to before. You can name it beep or boop or bop or whatever you like. And then you can keep going and going and going. You can name all the numbers anything you want to. It's not like planets. It. You don't get to be like, ah, I got to this number. No one else ever decided to name 10 to the 4,075th. Why so... can't you just make, you just add to the wiki page that there's no, there's no name for this listed number and you just name it. Who's, who's in charge of naming numbers? Uh, let's see. Who's in charge of naming numbers? It says right here, the continental <laughs> oh, Europe and... Oh, wait, no, no, no. Where does it say that? What does it actually say on the naming numbers page? I thought they would say who's in charge of naming numbers. Is but, there actual body... Is there, a, or is there an actual group of people that is responsible and holds the rights? Oh, wait, to here we go. Numbers? It's uh, the Center for Mathematics and Science Education, I think. Yep. They seem to be in charge of this, largely. I mean... That sounds like the name of the place that would be in charge of it. But here's the thing. Because the numbers go on to infinity, the words just get infinitely long, and there's a very logical system for how the numbers are named, which makes a lot more sense than the thing I said, which is that a number could be like Andy. Andy's a number. Why can't Andy be a number? Matt and Andy Enterprises is a number. It's not. Look, this not is, how numbers this work. could just be an unsolvable problem. This is an unsolved problem. You just got to work hard enough, and you're going to get there, Andy. Unsolved problem in mathematics. Number not named after me yet. <laughs> Someone solve this problem. It's MP hard problem. I think I got the definition of MP hard problem wrong. You can edit this in maybe if you want. But I think the better definition for MP hard problem is it's a problem that we can't prove that the solution we have is definitely the best solution. Okay. Co- computationally. We have very, very good solutions, but there's no definitive way to say that there's not a better one out there. Well, it's, it's, it's exactly the same thing as it's, it's the same spirit of what I said. It's just a better definition, right? Like imagine yeah. the rock sorting problem. If I said, okay, here are the two piles, I know for sure these two piles are 
as close to equal weight as they can be, uh, they're basically saying there's not a nice logic problem, a nice bit of algorithm you could stick those rocks into and have it tell you immediately if those were, in fact, the best piles of rocks. Yep, I got it. It's more succinct than saying, computers can't really do it unless they do it the hard way, <laughs> which is not a good definition. Well, we agree math is really good at what it does. Now what we have to do is we have to come up with our own version of that for art stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we can handle that, right? Uh, yeah, I, it's going to take a while. We've we got a lot of time on this podcast, right? Do I do it by like Thursday? <laughs> How about by like Friday? 2030. We just keep doing this podcast until then. Uh, is that military time? No, that's a year. Oh, dear. I got some math for you, Matt. Oh, this, this is great. We love math now. Yep, here's the math for you. We just crossed 100 Twitter followers. Oh, do you think we could cross 101 Twitter followers? Are you going to be ambitious? I think we should adopt a logarithmic curve to our Twitter follower acquisition. I like this. This time next week, we should be at 10,000 Twitter followers and then 100 million after that. All right. So maybe like 102 Twitter followers. I'm going to shoot for 10,000. I'll be optimistic. You should follow the show on Twitter. We post fun polls where you can explain why you think we're wrong or not you can tweet at us and we'll read them and feel bad about ourselves or good about ourselves depending on what you say you have a lot of power okay there are humans on the other side of that tweet box keep that in mind with great power comes great responsibility actually here's here's another number i'm gonna throw out i think we can double our itunes ratings so if you just go Do to we have one itunes rating i'm not gonna say how many we have but i'm pretty confident we could double it so if you go to itunes and you search for good bad show give us a rating five stars do that math Good, bad show. And give us a good review. Yep, one review. So yeah, I'm gonna stand I'm gonna stand with Matt. We can we can logarithmic that thing up real good. Yep. Just double that next mm-hmm. week and then four and then you know, to keep going. But uh yeah, leave us a good review. 